Good morning. I'm Sana. I hope your week is off to a good start. You are tuned in to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. Whether you read comic books or are a fan of their on-screen adaptations, you're probably familiar with DC and Marvel comic book characters from Superman, Captain America, Black Panther, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Spider-Man, and The Flash, among many others. But beyond entertainment, what do comics tell us about the world we live in or even the world as it could be. Today, we are chatting with Dr. Myron Strong, an associate professor of sociology at the Community College of Baltimore County. Dr. Strong's current research examines comics, Afrofuturism, and race. His work has been published in Context, Sociological Forum, and he has a forthcoming chapter in the Black Panther Anthology. Good morning, Myron, welcome. Oh, uh, how you doing? Glad to be here. <laughs> I appreciate you extending the uh, invitation. Yes, of course. I am so glad that you could join us to talk about what is a really fun topic, I think, and something that our listeners are probably really familiar with. So, of course, we're talking about comics and everything that they kind of tell us. Uh, but first, I want to know, are you a fan of comics? <laughs> well, actually, I am. And... The thing is, though, I didn't read them growing up. I actually got interested in comics because around the early 2000s, I heard about this comic called Icon. Uh, and it was a person who was an enslaved person who was a modern day version of a conservative lawyer that had powers like Superman. Oh. And I was like, wow, I had never heard this. <laughs> so I ran out, it was like 2000. I was a part of the, this, this black comic company called Milestone, which mm -hmm. is which got bought by DC and now it's coming back. This is with Static Shock, uh, was probably the most famous character. Mm -hmm. And so I heard this and I was like, wow, what is this? So I went bought like the entire series of it. And then that really made me interested. Like, wow, as an artifact, what can you learn from comics? Mm -hmm. Picked up this next set of comics called Black Summer. And in it, like a uh, group, this, this superhero kills the president for the war in Iraq. So I was like, wow. You can actually say this and do this? So that was sort of my forward. So as a kid, I never really um, read comics. But in terms of comics, we have to encase it into a larger narrative of what's called speculative fiction. So this idea that you're creating stories about imaginable worlds, stuff that doesn't necessarily build in reality. And in of that, I've always been a fan. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of my biggest inspirations come from reading those type of stories. And bigger than that, it's just gazing at the stars, right? Yeah. And becoming sort of a stargazer myself that encourages this sort of way of thinking more and bigger. You know, I can remember as a kid thinking I can control the wind. I go outside and go, <laughs> let's go, blow right now, blow, 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 right? So communing with nature. Uh, so that's sort of my, my foray into comics. But my, my, my interests themselves stem from the fact of you can do almost anything and explore almost any topic in a way that you can make a five-year-old understand 
own yeah. up. So. Yeah, I love that. You know, I didn't read comic books growing up, but I'm definitely into kind of all these um, TV shows that are based in comics and of course all the movies because it is like imagining a different world or seeing these kind of grand stories, you know, play out on screen. And so it's very captivating. And I love how you tie this into this broader genre of speculative fiction, because now I'm like, okay, yeah, I, can, I know what that is. Like, I can kind of see how <laughs> comics are part of that. And I'm definitely a stargazer as well. I haven't tried to control the wind, but maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll start working on that. <laughs> But you mentioned comics as an artifact and that, you know, that really struck me because comics are kind of a portal into, um, like you said, you can talk about any topic um, in, in a way that maybe, you know, we don't talk about it popularly or in a way that, you know, like you said, a small child could understand and grasp. And it made me think about, of course, most recently, um, we see in the latest issue of the DC Comics Batman Urban Legends, we see Robin or rather Tim Drake come out as bisexual. And I think that definitely stirred a lot of headlines. And even though he's not, of course, the first LGBTQ character in the DC universe, it was big news. And it kind of just made me think about how um, currently we talk about sexuality kind of, I think, is more in the forefront or in mainstream news. And mm -hmm. this is kind of one example of how we see kind of comics um, and what's happening in the world kind of mirror each other. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And when you're thinking about, so one of the things about comics and just like newspapers and stuff, if you get a comic from a particular time period, it tells you a lot about what's going on. Now, housing it particularly with uh, Robin coming out, I think that's important because I think it matches sort of this push for more rights for people of the LGBTQIA uh, community. Now, what's more nuanced though is that a lot of time when that happens, it's only, it's like, it's like if you take <laughs> uh, anything like an apple and the mm -hmm. apple's red, but if you get a picture of it, you can color it purple or yellow or anything, right? A lot of time when they come out, it doesn't necessarily mean that they complicate the issues. Mm. Now, a more interesting representation of, of gay characters is Batwoman. In the comics, but particularly on the CW series, so the CW takes the comic and Kate Kane is the cousin of Batman and Batman disappears and she takes over the mantle. Now, in the, in the CW show that currently comes on, the first season, she was white. This, the second season, the actress leaves and they make her black. The moment that they make her black, the discussions about, she's still gay, uh, becomes way more nuanced. It gets mm -hmm. integrated with police violence and homelessness and institutional oppression. So what I always tell people is sometimes it's not just about the representation itself, but do they push the issues? Do they look at the sort of larger politics within the framework? So while Robin coming out gay, I think is important. It's also more important to look at, does it really represent sort of them the, a further pushing along the discussion of the issues that they may have? Mm -hmm. And I think uh, there are some instances in comics that do, but still it's some that's emerging. Right, there's still very much gatekeeping, which we might talk about that later. Still very much white male, cisgender, 
uh, even though there is a lot of exploration and a lot of comics that don't do that, mm-hmm. um, there's still a lot of resistance to completely prying open that door, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I love this idea of how comics have the opportunity or possibility of being more nuanced, right, in their kind of discussion. And I think that's so important because a lot of these issues that are addressed in comics can be very complex, but comics themselves provide a space to talk about them in ways that maybe we can't talk about in other areas of our life or people have questions about, and comics are a way to actually explore them kind of more in depth and in a way that is familiar to people right especially if you you know read or you know watch comics um, it's a familiar kind of space for you so you can hear more of these nuanced or in-depth conversations in a way that you might not grasp or gravitate towards in other arenas oh definitely and i think one of the things that and a lot of comic book writers talk about this is that there's a couple things that make it interesting not only do you can't create worlds that represent anything also, there's a really interesting interplay between the type space, the colors, the fact that you there's a self-paced to comics in a way that allows you to think and critically analyze uh, things in a way that movies don't. So you're not necessarily always directed into a certain direction. You're sort of reading and everything plays, you know? And I begin to study art. So the colors you use, like um, the the, thickness of the line and everything itself sort of plays a way to do this. But in general, comics are successful, I think, in a lot of ways, because you can do almost anything, Mm -hmm. right? And that you can teach in a way and uh, discuss things in a way that even if it's complex, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about, and I'm going to maybe skip ahead a little bit, but not really, thinking about race. So I'm not a comic historian, I, I, but I do look at a lot of sort of the, the kind of recent comics. Now, one of the most interesting comics I've been reading is called The Good Asian. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a new, it's a noir about an Asian detective, um, late 1800s in San Francisco. So mm. the way that the story is framed, you completely understand xenophobia, the immigration acts, against the people, the violence and things in a way that if I tried to discuss it in class, that would be um, probably much more um, people not agreeing or challenging it. The pace and the, and the way it's framed though, helps you understand the nuance of the image. Mm-hmm. The Watchmen, highly successful series last year on HBO is framed with the Tulsa race riot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the frame of the show. And you come out understanding that reparations and all the other complicated things in a way that you would not understand just by teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to that. And I think that also it triggers, and this is maybe going a little ahead too, because I study Afrofuturism, the imagination. And to me, the discussion, my, my early discussion as a child and now, it's all about the imagination. And one of the reasons why is because Yatashi Womack talks about this in Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. If you can imagine a world better, that gives you the agency to change. Mm. You know, she, she frames it in discussing with kids in Chicago, fifth graders, and she says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the kids, it's just like, they can't answer. These are kids. They have no imagination beyond their current reality, mm. right? 
So with comics and speculative fiction and other things do is you have to trigger the idea that the imagination allows you to see something better. I have to believe that the world can be better because then I can make um, changes that are allowed it to happen, right? It's a way of thinking bigger and encasing it into a larger universe even. Mae Jemison, um, you know, one of the first black women, maybe the first black woman astronaut, brilliant. She's an engineer, doctor, astronaut. Sound like something you make up as a kid. <laughs> Mae Jemison had this project called 100 Year Starship. And basically what she's saying is within 100 years, they want to create a starship capable of leaving the solar system. And you'll say, why? I mean, it's about space exploration, but it's about more. In order to do that, you'd have to create technologies that would benefit the world, mm -hmm. energy, food. So just by imagining that, you create things that better the world. And I think more than anything, that's the, the riff. That's the thing that inspires and um, challenges and pushes people forward in a way, mm -hmm. I think, that makes it special. And, and me, and I'm working on this paper as well, there's R&R &R now, we talk about a way of sort of democratizing learning, mm -hmm. right? In a way of, I can't read this PhD level book, but <laughs> I can pick up this comic that may explain it way better right. and in way less pages than this book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, you know, there was so much in what you just said. Oh my goodness. And I'm glad you brought up, especially um, the Watchmen, because I remember just kind of watching all the, um, kind of public response, right, to that right. series and the the great conversation that it really generated for folks yes. who were in in a lot of cases just learning through that series what that the Tulsa race riots existed, what they were, what is still currently happening around the Tulsa race riots, right, even contemporarily. Um, and so I think it just revived a conversation that for many folks, it was the first time, so maybe not revive is the right word, but it brought it, it back to our public consciousness in a way that if, you know, if folks had just been, you know, writing newspaper articles, right. which they had, or creating websites, which they had, or even right. Creating documentaries and you know other things which they had it wouldn't have kind of garnered that public attention and the imagination right of folks in the way that the series did right. and so I think that's so important and I will have to look at uh, the other comic that you mentioned the good Asian uh, because you know both of us as educators always looking for ways to make you know, what we're teaching more interesting and resonant <laughs> with right. our students. Um, and, you know, so I'm definitely here for it. Now, um, like I said, you mentioned so much just now. And so we're going to come back to the Afrofuturism because I want to talk about that more in depth. But you mentioned how, you know, even as we're looking at comics, the colors, the typeset, the way, you know, just everything about the illustrations kind of send a message and put us in a particular kind of space or feeling or, you know, kind of frame of mind. And as you're talking, it just made me think of the ways that comics, you know, send messages, both the explicit messages through the storyline, but, and also the implicit messages through the storyline or through that imagery. And so I know um, some of your work 
is looking at some of these explicit and implicit messages, particularly, of course, around race, uh, but then I also know around kind of national identity. And I wanted to talk about that um, for a moment as well. So I know you just gave a presentation um, looking at Captain America, right? A, a character that I think most of us are familiar with. Right. Um, especially since we see that kind of um, that superhero or that, um, I guess I want to say outfit, but that costume, people don it. They also have the shield. Am I using the right word? I don't even know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just very, it's, it's a part of popular culture. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like, what does it mean to have a Captain American? What is that telling us about ourselves um, and who we are? Okay, so before I talk about that, uh, and that's sort of a part of a larger project, I actually want to talk about a comic called The 99. Okay. Right? The, and then the, the title 99. Right? So this is talking about national identity. There was a documentary, you just look it up, it's called Wham Bam Islam on PBS, that centers on the creation of the 99. Mm -hmm. So the 99, this goes to national identity, centers on this psychologist from Kuwait who um, was looking uh, going through like the city and he was seeing people creating these comics and he saw this comic and it was basically a comic that was framed in the idea that there, people were terrorists and this kind of stuff and he was like wow you got this kid reading this comic about becoming a terrorist and doing all this stuff we need better role models mm. right our national identity is connected to our oppression basically so he creates this idea of the 99 right and the 99 is, is framed in the Middle East. Uh, there's an attack on Baghdad in 1258 and the, this historic library. They throw all the books into the river and scholars take these 99 stones called North Stones and absorbs all the knowledge, mm -hmm. right? So 99 represents um, the, the names, these 99 powers, but also the 99 names of, of Allah. It spread all across the country and, and all across the world. And you get people who get these stones who each one, let's say you have a lot of powerful, that person, if that stone would have strength, right? Mm -hmm. So you get all these people for that the creates a sort of global identity around we have to work together and being a part of this larger global community of powers, mm -hmm. right? And I think that says a lot about because it's framed in the ideal of who do you want to be? How do we communicate, right? Captain America, and what's fascinating with him is the shield. Mm -hmm. The shield is so iconic that wherever you see the shield, people instantly make assumptions, right? <laughs> <laughs> About our national identity. This is Captain America. Now, what's fascinating to me is though, as a character, Steve Rogers, what does that mean for America as, as, as far as our own national identity? So, I looked at, there's a couple comics. There's America, centered on America Chavez, uh, this Latinx uh, gay woman who sits in for Captain America. So these are like alternative versions of Captain America. Mm -hmm. So in some dimensions, she's Miss America and she takes his place, right? Um, um, Truth, red, white, and black, centers on basically like Tuskegee. They experiment on 300 black soldiers. Um, most die, a few live, and then one, uh, Isaiah Bradley dons the uniform to become Captain America. This is during World War I, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, World War II. And then uh, 
of Sam Wilson's Captain America, which is the most relevant one in terms of the movies because basically Falcon becomes Captain America, just like Anthony Mackie does in Back in the Winter Soldier, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the crew, which is sort of uh, uh, a group of black superheroes comic developed in the 90s. And one of the heroes is like Isaiah Bradley's uh, grandson, which is important because Captain America confronts him and he basically makes Captain America admit that Isaiah Bradley is the first Captain America, which makes that story become canon, which is important. Which is why on the second episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, it centers on Isaiah Bradley because it's canon and that's important. Now, I got interested because this is a, a cisgender white man that follows that follows a certain monomyth about who we are as America, that there's mm -hmm. evildoers, we gotta fight and we gotta conquer them, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at how political people often, they often do this, right? Even right. thinking about, there was a video of Trump clotheslining the coronavirus, right? This idea <laughs> that there's an evildoer that we have right. to establish. <laughs> One of the reasons I talk to students why, um, when we talk about the country is we often make it really simple. There's one evil person that's doing this. So it creates a sort of monomyth that gets away from structural uh, things, right? But what you do and what a lot of, and what some scholars found though, is when you actually look at Steve Rogers and Captain America, you don't find a person who's actually standing up for America. You actually find a person that wants a sense of belonging. He's mm. out of place. He's 50 years old. He doesn't can't relate <laughs> to anybody. So he just latches on to his job, basically. Right. Now, why is this so important? We're doing the January 6th insurrection. You saw the Captain America shield, mm -hmm. right? And what we know about a lot of the people doing the group, the group dynamics and stuff is that there's a sense of belonging. People went yeah. in there without a plan. They just wanted to belong to something. They just want to bandwagon and get along. So I do think that that's important in terms of the sense of belonging and how that happened. Now, bigger than that is how you look at national identity and patriotism from other groups. Mm -hmm. right? When you look at people of color, what you see is a much more complicated relationship with that ideal of what it means to be an American. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons comics are important is because they frame things in such a manner that make you have to wonder and make you identify with that ideal. Now, getting away from Captain America, but I'm swinging back, just looking at <laughs> X-Men. I'm gonna come back, just looking at X-Men to get people to understand. Yeah. Stan Lee creates the X-Men uh, as a sort of mirror image of the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. where Professor Xavier becomes Malcolm X, I mean, Martin Luther King, Magneto becomes Malcolm X, right? He doesn't reframe these two ideologies within these characters. Now, this is during the 60s, which they were created. And we have to say, did relating to those characters help people understand the civil rights movement better, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's something we begin to think about national identity, right? When we complicate who is an American and we take away the shield, and it's such an important symbol, Anthony Mackie talks about it. Um, even though it's a fictional character, he's a movie star, but he's like, man, when I got the shield, it was like, I got emotional pride. And the first <laughs> thing he said is, <laughs> my grandfather was a sharecropper, mm -hmm. like, like for me to be this national image and, and to come from that is emotional. And in Sam Wilson's Captain America, which is also the Falcon becoming Captain America, the first thing he does is a, the, um, detaches from the government and shield and says he's not playing politics and he's gonna do what's right, so yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. That, I mean, you know, when you think, again, we think about comics and I think this is, you know, why they're so great is because again, like easily digestible, but we can get so many messages, um, hopefully, you know, some positive messages and, you know, <laughs> challenge us to think about um, whether it's national identity or our own sense of belonging in ways that might be more expansive to include more people, but of course could also be used in ways that make us feel more alienated or try to resolve a sense of alienation and in the process uh, potentially exclude others. But there's so much going on versus just, oh, it's just a comic book or it's just, you know, some alternate universe, right? There are all these applications to what's happening, you know, in our lives individually, but then what's happening in our society as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so much about who we are, we don't know who we are and how limited we are. So I talk about, and so me and my department, we wrote a book. Uh, using stories to teach sociology, right? Sociology mm-hmm. story. And one of the stories I talk about is the first time I went to Egypt and how transformative it was because I began to think of my ancestors beyond being enslaved. Mm-hmm. And that was free. And when I was over there, I felt different. I didn't know why. Until I got back to JFK and I felt like the race monkey jump on my back. And I was like, oh yeah, I didn't have to live with racism. Yeah. Now, why is this important? Fast forward to comics and you begin to see Look at the, and what fascinated me, and I'm writing a, a three, three article arc on Black Panther. One of the things that fascinated me was, I felt like it was the first time Black people felt proud of being from Africa mm-hmm. because it connected them to a larger narrative beyond being enslaved. I mean, I went to the premiere, people had on tuxedos and crowns. It was like crazy. <laughs> hey, for real. They had on Sunday's best, right? I took my sons and it was like such a celebration of like, dang. We are more than just slaves. And I think just that, and the reason why people attach to that, a lot of reasons, is because it did unlock something, not only uh, about your own ancestry being, going further back and being more complicated than being enslaved, but also connecting to a larger global society in the way that if you don't really travel or you don't really interact, and I'm from Arkansas, and trust (laughs) me, in Arkansas, there are only four races, black, white, Chinese, and Mexican. Right, everybody fits into that. You'd be like, I'm from Colombia, so you're Mexican, right? <laughs> like, you got four, there's a very limited understanding about the world mm-hmm. and how we connected to it. And connecting to that meant that we were connected to a larger identity. Now, when you're talking about Captain America, it's usually framed in a very narrow sense of American nationalism, mm-hmm. right? Which doesn't fit minorities' experience. People of color experience a lot, women, women experience. I think that I got fascinated by looking at what does it mean when you have other versions of this symbol, because I think that does play into a complicated narrative about the relationships we have. So going back to Batwoman uh, on the CW, the moment you turn her, she's still gay, but you turn her black, you instantly open the floodgates. When you look at Killmonger, Killmonger, instead of just being a typical villain like the Joker where you may... The moment you introduce him, you got to think about what the school military train and uh, all these other things about systematic oppressions. Like, and I think so, I think that's one of the most beautiful things. And looking at what national identity is, it's so branded to these symbols. Mm-hmm. And 
And I often talk about branding and I, I've used the PlayStation and Xbox. You know, usually I'm an Xbox person or enjoy an iPhone, right? Yeah, I'm an iPhone person. We're so branded a lot to what it means to be an American. And from comics, there's nothing when you think about the shield, but also the statues and all this stuff that is so connected to our identity. We have to sort of begin to explore what happens when you complicate those symbols. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that is so important. And I love that, you know, for folks who aren't, you know, from, you know, familiar, super familiar with comics, just this idea that there are these alternate versions of these kind of well-known um, comic book characters, right? So people are, are taking these characters and thinking about, okay, well, what if they were, you know, not this white guy, right? But what if they were a woman or a person of color or, you know, whatever other kind of social identity and social location, how does it then change what we know, what we think about, but then also, importantly, what's possible? Um, Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. We're here on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana and I'm here with Dr. Myron Strong and we are talking about comics and everything that they tell us about the world we live in and also the possible world that we could uh, create or inhabit. And now I know you mentioned that you are um, working on um, a few different papers and chapters around Black Panther. And we talked a little bit about Black Panther before the break. And as you mentioned, you know, I was so excited for Black Panther. And I know folks are already looking forward to Black Panther 2 that's scheduled, I think, to come out next year. Um, But thinking about how that movie, as you mentioned, um, really presented to everyone Um, just an alternate version of what we think about when we think about Africa um, and very impactful in a lot of different ways. And so I'm wondering for you and your research interests in particular, um, you talk about Black Panther as it relates to this idea of Afrofuturism. I know you mentioned it a little bit as we first started talking, but I'd like to get more into it. So for folks who are not familiar, what is Afrofuturism? Okay, let me see if I can simplify it. (laughs) So a lot of times people think of it as sci-fi when you put the Black experience in, Mm -hmm. right? And and it's that, but it's much more in terms of embracing a, um, and putting a Black experience in music, art, um, speculative fiction in general. And the reason why sci-fi is often pointing to particular futurism and you know, when I learned this, I thought about George Clinton. He was the, the, the bring me up to the mothership and all this kind of stuff because it was so connected to the idea of exploring what is the world and what is the world possibly could be. Mm-hmm. And I think there's often, there's, often, there's also something called Af- African futurism mm-hmm. that people talk about, that some scholars talk about. And that's basically saying that you believe that science fiction and the stories that come from Africa have a parallel path, right? A parallel path. So Afrofuturism is a tangent tangent on traditional sci-fi from the United States that we put Black experiences in because there's woven within this country. African futurism is completely the story, the narratives of people from Africa. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear African futurism as well. It's sort of a parallel. It, like the same time happening. 
<laughs> right, kind of thing. Now, one of the things that, that attracted me to that, and because of my own background, right, it's, it's connected to so many different fields and ways of sort of the triggering imagination, science, art, uh, music. You know, you think about missiology, Janae Monet, mm-hmm. and the sort of things that even Black is King with, with Beyonce, which, oh my God, that was like beautiful. Like, I, it, it changed how I saw Beyonce completely. <laughs> but in a way of looking at it, but more importantly, and this goes to sort of gender and representation, Mm-hmm. is what Af- what Afrofuture and African Futurism do is they put forth an ideal, at least partly, what's called the divine feminism. Mm. Now, probably, I was, I, I go out on let me say most traditional religions before modernity were gynocentric, right? Mm-hmm. And definitely in Africa, you're talking about gynocentric religion. So women and things that represent um, that kind of thing, being the heads and this kind of stuff. Now, the divine feminism is this idea that particularly women create their own choices and paths. Like when you look at Afrofuturism, there isn't necessarily a confluence of a lot of it. It's just that women choose their paths, mm-hmm. right? They're completely equal and they have complete agency over their lives. Mm-hmm. And that more than anything, I think is possible, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I did a paper uh, that looked at the word of Wakanda, which was written by Yana Harvey and Roxane Gay. Mm-hmm. Yana Harvey's a really famous professor, Roxane Gay, really famous academic. Um, there was a six issue that centered on the, the daughter, that centered on the dormant home, mm-hmm. right? And it was interesting because basically what they, in the, 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 it, it focused on is that the Black Panther was neglectful hanging out with the adventures. Mm. And all this stuff was happening to women and children in the other parts. So they basically, because they were supposed to be the protectors of the king, they rebelled against him to go save people, mm-hmm. right? And sort of chose their own path. Um, also, Naomi, Naomi, she is like, Naomi, she is life, which is a comic by Stranger Comics, which is one of the first comics that in what kind of had black women writers and black women artists centers on this black elf that's sort of destined to change the world. And she's being chased. And there's a lot of allegories uh, in terms of who's the protectors, who's in, in all the categories. So uh, when you look at sort of Afrofuturism, one of the attractive parts is that women have complete agency. Yeah. And the second paper that I wrote talked about how, even if this is a fictional group, they're rooted within a lot of traditional African <laughs> societies, right? Like the Dahomey of Benin, there were groups in um, Mali and Egypt and everywhere else, but even beyond Africa, even when you go to like Thailand and look mm-hmm. at like the Kroon clone, I think that's the name of the group, right? There was an all-female um, bodyguard system, let me look it up real quick, that um, protected the king of Siam in like 16... 16- yeah, so he said the Kroon clone, yeah. If you look it up, there was well, like, yeah, bodyguard detected number 1688, very much like the Dormant. So it's funny because, and this is an important narrative, our ideas of what women are capable of in our society is so limited by Eurocentric interpretation, mm-hmm. right? Which is basically a bunch of lies. Now, there's mm-hmm. a book, The Lies My Teacher Told Me, mm-hmm. <laughs> that talks about all the things you learned growing up. And definitely the way in which we shape warriors and stuff like that has been misguided. We know that half of the Viking warriors were women. Like, so 
this idea that we go to not just Africa, but around the place and all these powerful women. There's a book called Male Husband, Male Daughters, Female Husbands by Ifeoma Dume. And mm-hmm. the, it starts off with the fact that the British tried to colonize Nigeria in 1929. And they said they couldn't. They was like, the women are too militant. They tried, the women was up there whooping them and stabbing them and all that kind of stuff. So and to me, the value almost becomes because it creates knowledge that's what's possible. It also taps into a historical record because there's history out there mm-hmm. um, of history <laughs> that um, explores all of these things that challenge our very narrative of how we see women and men and gender within our societies, right? Like um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of research and I talk about this in the chapter, some of the Rubin cultures, they didn't even have a concept of what a woman was, right? This concept of gender is a construct that's limited our understanding that's been perpetuated through literature in general that Afrofuturism challenges, mm-hmm. right? In a way that when you look at Black Panther, the relationships are so seamless. You're like, this is how it should be, everybody. Like, you don't even think there's no power dynamic, right? Yeah. <laughs> this kind of stuff, right? You know, you got the general, she's about to kill her, 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 her boyfriend if he's going against the Panther and all this kind of stuff. She takes a spear and stops a car, which is, oh my God. So yeah, <laughs> so one of the attractiveness, I think, is that you can begin to sort of see not only just a, a fictional version, but I think there's a collective memory and ideal of this is who historically people were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and we've narrowed it down to gender and then we've limited to one gender and that itself limits the possibilities of who we can have, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at Black Panther, the whole frame is that the goddess Bast bestows the power to the first Black Panther who unites the country. So, but there's also elements of sci fiction, you know, because vibranium comes from space utterly and stuff mm-hmm. like this. But if you look at us as humans, we're actually stardust as well, right? And if we were to look inside of ourselves on a microscopic level, we ourselves would look like a universe. Mm-hmm. So we are walking around tiny universes. And think about the imagination that goes into that. Yes, I love it. I love just all the imagination, right? I mean, I think that's so key when we're thinking about the future that we would like to live in, and maybe a future that is more similar to some of our past, right? As you're thinking about, in particular, how women have always been warriors, right? And really respecting and revering women and women's role in society, right? So that is a positive <laughs> from our past <laughs> that you know has been kind of written out of history. Right. Um, but I think that speaks to how important you know, these different artifacts are. And so again, thinking about comics as an artifact, we can write a corrective history um, in a way that is accessible to folks that can maybe unlock folks' imagination outside of these very restrictive um, and very restrictive stories uh, that we've been told. So that makes me very excited to think about comics as this um, kind of portal into a future um, that really revives some of the more, um, I guess, aspects of equity and equality that we've seen in societies um, throughout history, but that we don't necessarily necessarily learn about. 
Um, so that makes it super exciting. I'm definitely all for a women's agency and uh, thinking about how we can, um, you know, give women the space to inhabit and fulfill kind of all of their potential. So that makes me super excited to hear that piece around like Afrofuturism in particular. Yeah, so <clears throat> speaking of, and, and so just two examples, and this, this isn't necessarily Afrofuturism of how we can push forward ideas of gender and women in comics is one, and, I, and I've done a presentation of this, it's called, there's a comic called The Beauty, mm -hmm. okay? And the whole comic centers around that there's a, a sexually transmitted disease that if you catch it, it makes you beautiful. Socially <laughs> constructed beautiful, thin, muscles, chin, whatever, right? <laughs> The catch is you only have 800 days from catching it or you're going to blow up. You spontaneously explode. <laughs> Still, you have more than half the U.S. population who are trying to get the STD. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they know they only got 800 days left so they can live this, this life and beauty. So it's a really interesting critique of what beauty is because mm -hmm. it's told through venerates. The ways in which people use beauty to escape. And or the way they use beauty to benefit. So it's a really exploration around the ideal of beauty that's really sort of nuanced, right? So you have trans characters in there using beauty as a way to escape. You mm -hmm. have people who are criminals who are, you know, 300 pounds doing a bunch of crime, <laughs> and beauty, they're escaping. You have people who hate beauty and they're doing, they're mutilating themselves mm -hmm. so that they don't fit in. But it's also because so many people are trying to catch the beauty, there is no real connection to people, right? Mm -hmm. Because people are looking at you and saying, oh, you're attractive, you must have this beauty and they just want to sleep with you, but there's no value in who you are and all this stuff. So I think it's a actually exploration to all the complication around beauty. Mm -hmm. um, I think also there's another comment called Faith that, that is the, the, maybe the one, the one comment that I, I found that embraces the idea that she's a plus size, super uh powered person mm -hmm. i mean i'm not talking about 150 pounds like she's 280 five five she embracing it so this idea that she embraces how she looks and she's this powerful person and character i think is something that challenges you just talk about just general narratives in terms of gender and beauty yeah. i'm like wow <laughs> <laughs> Well, like I would have never imagined like the, that comics are exploring all of these issues. So now I'm like, wow, I got to get into comics and like see what else is out there because I think it's, you know, just those that you described right now, I think resonate so much because you know, beauty, beauty standards, whatever they may be, are such a big part of our lives. Um, in every, you know, if all the right. ads that we're targeted by, you know, commercials that we see, um, you know, everything is very much centered around, you know, appearance, what beauty is, trying to fit into some ideal. And even if we meet that ideal, we still feel, you know, right. Um, dissatisfied, right? And, exactly. and what and what you said, I think really keys in on it, right? There's this, as humans, we all have this need to belong, this need to have connections. And are we going about those in ways that are really producing the healthy connections and healthy sense of belonging? 
Or are we, you know, like the comic that you described, are we engaging in all these really harmful behaviors that lead to self-destruction, but allow us to maybe feel like we fit in, you know, for, you know, 800 days or so. <laughs> 800 days, you get 800 days and then you're good. <laughs> there's, a, there's also a uh, comic that is full of some interest and it's called Bee Planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not gonna say the word, but planet. Especially <laughs> get a planet, and all these women who don't act right, they send them to another planet, <laughs> like a prison planet, to do it. That that's an interesting exploitation of how you should act and stuff. But going back to this ideal of comics giving us a different perspective and why it's important that we explore like different characters. So in 2015, Marvel put really forth a diversity initiative to try to to put characters. So they basically shifted Iron Man, who's a black woman. So mm -hmm. the Invincible Iron Man became Iron Heart, which was Riri Williams, which got her own comic, which was written by Eve Ewing, who's a sociologist at University of Chicago, which is wonderful. <laughs> um, like also, but one of the more interesting, and that's actually what got me back into comics. So four years ago, four or five years ago, uh, I heard that they were changing Iron Man into a black woman. So mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, this is what got me. I was not doing comics at all. Wow. And I was doing like reality TV and this kind of stuff. So I go and I see and I'm like, wow, this is just so impactful. So then I just get into studying more minority characters in comics. Then I said, man, I can't be a 40-year-old dude just hanging out at the comic book store. <laughs> Let me say I'm researching it. Like, oh, God, oh, it's research. Everything we're doing. You eat McDonald's, it's research. So... <laughs> <laughs> we, we use research to come up here. So okay. I started doing this, right? And one of the more interesting ideas of talking about narratives that are created, not even alternative, but just by changing the characters is totally awesome Hulk. So mm -hmm. Incredible Hulk becomes a Korean guy named Amadeus Cho. Mm -hmm. He's arrogant, he's smart, he's in control. He's completely different than Bruce Banner. But there's a scene in issue 15 where it's him and he's sitting with Silk, who a Korean Spider Woman, mm -hmm. um, Chang Chi, who they're doing the movie about, Miss mm -hmm. um, Marvel, and they're sitting around and they're talking and they're talking about their experiences being immigrant kids and having to bring lunch to school and then bringing traditional Korean food and they the, other, the American kids having lunchables and looking at them and they thought of reflecting on that experience and it was the one that was the one scene that made me look at the character and the narrative very differently because it brought something that um, I had never seen, an experience that I wouldn't have experienced unless they had taken and challenged the narrative, right? And this also means that they have to have writers who understand the experience yes. as well. So like, if they're doing a new version of Silk and Maureen Gu, who's a really well-known writer, who's actually, she's Asian as well, is writing it. Um, in terms of, in terms of being, there's a comic I talk about, Infidel, which has a Thai American author. And, and this goes into a little of the Afro horror that's connected to this sort of speculative fiction as well, where you get out and Lovecraft Country and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Where Infidel, he basically uh, centers this story around a group of people in a building, a group of people of color in a building, and there are monsters there that are fed by xenophobia. Mm. So xenophobia is crazy. So yeah, it's a really interesting way of studying race and the interplay of gender and expectations as well. Uh, so yeah, so just looking at that, it's just a 
a lot of different things and a lot of reasons that I'm enthralled by comics, but also looking at the movies and the stories and how the narratives fit as well. So mm-hmm. I love this idea of comics giving us kind of an entryway into cultures, worlds, people, experiences that we may not be familiar with or have any way to kind of access depending upon where we are. So there can be some positives, right, with comics in kind of opening up our minds to other realities and not just, you know, possible futures or or even history, but also um, things that we might not know contemporarily just because of, you know, maybe where we live or how, who we have access to. Uh, And I know that there are, as you mentioned, a lot of ways that comics are trying to integrate a variety of experiences, whether it is around race, gender, sexuality, with varying degrees of success. Um, As you mentioned, it kind of depends on who's writing the stories, right? Are these actual kind of authentic expressions of experience or are these, you know, some sort of like stereotyped ideas of what these characters might might have. And so I'm wondering, are there, because there are a few kind of comic movies um, coming out soon. Are there any that you're looking forward to that you feel like, okay, this maybe gets it right or um, anything that you're excited about? <laughs> well, you know, with Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings comes out September 3rd. And, and, and my interest largely is uh, people of color when they have their expression. Right, mm-hmm. and it centers on a lot of Chinese folklore that I think is integrated within the narrative. So I think that's important, right? I do think, and this is this is sort of a tangent. This isn't necessarily comics, but Japanese manga and anime. Mm-hmm. And I do think the popularity. Well, that there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of the popularities is because there's such a very gender expression within. I don't know if you've seen manga, but manga and animes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's 10 different dudes and they got 10 different gender expressions. <laughs> like, and I think being able to find, and I think this is one of the reasons too, when you look at, there's a group of men called bronies that mm-hmm. follow My Little Ponies. Have you okay. <laughs> oh no, no it's, it's a real thing. Type in bronies. There's been a couple of documentaries where there are groups of men that are huge fans of My Little Ponies. And one of the things they talk about is just the non-threatening, the focus on friendship. But yeah, just, just go, it's called bronies. Okay, I'm going to definitely look this up. I've right. never heard so, of this. Oh, yeah. So I think so. I think one of the ways that comics work is because it does give you this sense of finding a place where you belong. And when you look at a lot of writers in general, even when not talking about speculative fiction, even if you're talking about Glee and people like that, these were people who didn't have a place couldn't find a place. So they begin to write stories about their lives, mm-hmm. right? And I think, and which is value, which other people read and identify with, which is important. Now, once again, this is a slight tangent, but um, the the most famous, probably social sociologist that write methods is Earl Batty, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in the intro of his book, he talks about reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and that being an inspiration for him. No, he's a white, white guy. And uh, for going into sociology. Mm-hmm. My, the, the, the fact that Malcolm X was limited based on his race and he wasn't, encouraged him to understand. Now, Malcolm X was written by Alex Haley, right? So um, this idea that 
because I think there's an idea that minority stories or people of color, their stories are only for people of color. And I would say no. The stories mm -hmm. themselves are for everyone to understand, for everyone to challenge the sort of worldview and to sort of work to imagine a world that's better. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's one thing I wanted to just mention that when you're writing these comics and you're writing these stories, like New Superman, which is a Chinese Superman and Shiri and all these other comics, you, what you're doing is you want to create words that everyone can relate to because you want the fact that everyone sees the problems and everyone works to make that better. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just like. A cartoon when I was growing up, real young Captain Planet, right? It was all about <laughs> recycling and stuff. But I don't know if you know, we all started recycling for some reason, right? We see these people, let's save the planet. We were so indoctrinated about this stuff and about what the planet can do. So, <laughs> so you look at that cartoon. And even now, kids nowadays recycle like, well, our kids would be screaming at me, pick that up, Planet! Pick that up! Our people go to the recycling bin, you kill them in environment. So, how we got here. It's a lot because you saw these cartoons, Fern Gully, that was focused yeah. on oh, making yeah. the environment and things of this nature, right? And I think a lot of times, and I think one of the reasons Black Panther has been so successful because I think it was able to push a narrative that that went along with Black Lives Matter and things of that mm -hmm. nature that allowed for at least, I think, some ideological understanding that would have more and would have been. so. Uh, so these stories are stories that communicate stories that are bigger than us, right? And they're also stories that communicate the ideal of, um, in terms of who decides who's what. So who decides who's human? Mm, right? Who decides yeah. who's good? Who decides who's enough, right? And we know legally talking about, you know, Africans being three-fifths human and all this kind of stuff. We know that there's been something historically within the United States that they've struggled with, right? Wow. And I think comics themselves begin a way to sort of examine the way in which we look at that, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Oh, that's so true. You know, comics, they're so powerful. I mean, I think that's really what this whole conversation has demonstrated is how powerful comics are um, for us as we think about ourselves, as we think about other people, um, and as we think about, again, thinking about our potential future, the future that we could create. Um, so that's exciting. I know for folks who are listening, maybe this is giving you an opportunity to think about comics um, in a new way, right? And to really think about, wow, I remember seeing Black Panther or these other movies or even all the whole lineup of shows that the CW has had, right? And thinking about this maybe in a different way or how watching these things have made me think about you know, the world in a different way. Well, Myron, we are almost at the end of our time together. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity if there are any kind of final words that you wanted to leave our listeners with. <laughs> I would just encourage people to read comics, but also challenge themselves to imagine what the world can be, right? Mm -hmm. so, before, so beyond just even reading, just allowing yourself to think about the best version of the world and allowing yourself to say, if I can think about this, then what's the best way to handle it? And I think that's the main takeaway from any comment, right? And allowing ourselves to sort of be open to the fact that maybe um, there are things that need to be changed and groups that need to be helped. And if we're in a position to do that, why don't we do that? Right? I think about Toni Morrison once telling, saying that she tells her students, 
you know, yeah, when you graduate, you know, it's your responsibility if you're free to free somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And like, you like, this is just a grab bag. You don't just get this, this thing, this great degree, and then run up and do stuff, right? So thinking about the ways we ourselves can sort of explore this, but also, you know, give yourself a chance and, you know, pick up different things and think about how it relates to the real world. Now, I'm just going to mention this quick thing before we go. The, 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 the narrative of the Flash on the CW is interesting because it's the only time I've ever seen a person of color adopt a white person. Mm-hmm. Like we're thinking about adoption, this sort of fits into your research too. Mm-hmm. Um, because Joe only has a black dude who adopts the one, like, so the idea of that is an adoption narrative. I've never thought about it because that's a narrative we never mm-hmm. think about. What happens when people of color want to adopt somebody of majority and, and the issues that come with that? So mm-hmm. just continue to read that, continue to challenge yourself, allow yourself to, to understand that the world's privileged, allow yourself to understand that it's our responsibility to make the world better and to help those who are not privileged and mm-hmm. to attack the sort of systematic oppression that women, people of color, sexual, racial minorities experience. So mm-hmm. that's all. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Myron. It has been such a pleasure to have you here with us this morning. No, I appreciate you. Thank you again to Dr. Myron Strong. There were so many comics that he mentioned that I know I am going to have to dive into. That was such an exciting conversation. And to think, you know, comics, we might just think of them as entertainment or kind of an escape. And I know I get so excited when there are these new um, superhero movies, but they're really telling us so much more. They're telling us stories about who we are, stories about who we could be, and stories that in fact are bigger than us. Uh, And I thought that was so fascinating. So I I know I'm definitely gonna be thinking about comics in a different way. So for today's positive note, I just wanted to reiterate a quote that Dr. Strong mentioned, which was, if you can imagine a world better, you can change. I love that idea that, you know, it's all about our imagination. What can we imagine if we can imagine a better world? Then that means that it's possible and we can be part of that change in creating um, a better world, not only for ourselves, but for everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And remember, wherever you are in the world, you can always tune in on WYXR.org. And Let's Grab Coffee is also available in the podcast format on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you stream podcasts. I can't wait to join you back again next Monday morning.